0: John's Gospel chapter number three tonight. We spent the last time that we were in the book of John, we talked about his conversation with Nicodemus and how he had talked about that you must be born again. And we talked, we actually took a couple of weeks to talk about the salvation experience and we talked about what it meant to be born again. But tonight I want us to look uh, beginning at verse number 22 in John chapter number three. And we're going to read a testimony by a man by the name of John the Baptist. This is the same John that baptizes Jesus in the other Gospels that we read. And how that after Jesus is baptized, that the Holy Spirit descends on him in the bodily form of a dove. And the Father speaks out of heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom, and in whom I am well pleased. And so John is getting ready to give a testimony of who Jesus is. He's getting ready to do to give a testimony of who Jesus is because what we're getting ready to see is we're getting ready to see a controversy that is getting ready to happen between the Jews between the between the Jews and the disciples of John. Because in this story we see a few things. We see the fact that Jesus popularity is beginning to grow and he his popularity is beginning to grow his ministry is beginning to grow his 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 fame so to speak is getting is going out into all different regions and so there is a there is some contention here between the Jews and John's disciples regarding things such as baptism regarding you know, uh, regarding Jesus ministry and I believe that we can look at a few things here tonight that is going to help us understand how we are to operate as a church and what our mission and what our mindset is here. And so my intention tonight is, is to get through the rest of John chapter 3 tonight. And then so and then by the time that we come back and we pick up in the book of John, we'll start in John chapter 4. So that is my intention that is my uh, that is my intention here tonight, so the book of John's gospel chapter number three, I want to begin reading at verse number twenty two and we're going to read down through verse twenty nine and if we have time we'll we'll continue reading on John chapter three and verse twenty two the word of the Lord says, and after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of, uh, into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized John Jesus here and his disciples were baptizing here. And John was also baptizing and in, in anon near Selim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, speaking of Jesus, To whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men are now coming to him. So what what the Jews are saying to John's disciples is, listen, you baptized Jesus, but now it seems like everybody's coming to Jesus now. And so the question is, well, what are you going to do about that? Because it seems like now Jesus is overshadowing overshadowing, uh, your ministry. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before Him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth... rejoiceth, I'm going to try to say that again. Rejoiceth... Greatly, because of the bridegroom's voice, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. And let's read verse 30 because I think all of this hinges what we just read on this next verse. Where he says, John speaking, he must increase, but I must decrease. So let's take a look at this because this is part of John's testimony. The Bible says at first that John is baptizing in a place called Anon, near a place called Satan. If you, if you do a study, you'll find out that it's quite possibly that this place that, we, that John is baptizing is actually first recorded, or is close by, 1 Kings chapter number 17. It is the place that the Bible says that God commanded the prophet Elijah to go to at the time when John, uh, excuse me, when Elijah came on the scene in 1 Kings chapter number 17 and he said that by my word there shall not be rain nor dew upon the face, upon the face uh, 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 of the land, but except according to my word. The Bible says that at that time there was a great drought, but God told Elijah, go down by the brook Cherith, and I will sustain you there. So it is quite possible that this is near the place where Elijah was told to go by God, where the ravens would feed him. It is not just a place where there was water, but it was a place that the people would recognize. We've stated from the very beginning that any time that God does something, God does not do it by just happenstance. Everything that God does is calculated. Everything that God does... Has a point and a purpose behind it. There is no wasted motions behind everything that God does. When God, when and, and when in the life of Jesus, when He performs a miracle, if you if you think that it is just simply to to heal somebody or for somebody or, or or for somebody to be delivered, that is a layer of what Jesus is doing. But there is always something deeper. There's always a point to what Jesus is trying to do. For instance, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with just a few fishes and a few loaves. The symbol behind that, the, the reason why Jesus done that was that he could show to everybody that is there, I am the bread of life. That was what he was trying to do. And so anytime that Jesus does something, anytime that God the Father does something, there is always a reason behind it. Be see, God took care of His prophet there. And so when the Bible says that John is baptizing in this place... It was a place that, that we know that the Jews would recognize because the Bible says that John the Baptist would come in the spirit, in the power of Elijah. And so John was giving these people a very strong and unspoken message. He was trying to tell them, he was trying to tell the people, listen, I am the one that God has sent. I am the one that God has sent to bear witness of the light of the world. As you know, as as we've read in other Gospels and in other passages of Scripture, when Jesus comes on the scene, what does John do? John stands up and he points his finger in Jesus' direction and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so this place was not chosen randomly. Jesus is here as well. And so this is not a random location by Jesus. Because in this one moment, in this one location, that seems on the surface, that seems so insignificant that it seems that it doesn't matter well they're just by the river somewhere baptizing no you have to be able to look deeper because what is happening here it is a, it is another indication of God the Father saying this is the son of God This is the one that has been promised, that is coming to you, that is going to take away the sin of the world. He is the prophet promised by God through Moses. Here's the second thing that we see that is happening here. In these passages of Scripture, we see that Jesus is becoming more popular than John. In the Scripture, Jesus is becoming... More popular than John. And here's there's the indication in this. That this is bothering the disciples of John. All of a sudden that the, the disciples of John are not getting the credit. As a matter of fact in other portions of scripture. We read the fact about how that, John, that Jesus disciples are, are baptizing more people than John's disciples. And, and how many know that sometimes if we're not careful we can get caught up in that in church. You, know, you get enough pastors together, and, and and before too long, we'll start talking about. Well, how many did you have in your service the other day? How many? How many did you have? In, how many did you have on Sunday morning in your church? It reminded me of the uh, of the pastor at camp Meet one time that another pastor came up to him and said, you know, well, how many are you running on your Sunday morning? And he said, well, I'm running between about five and six hundred. Uh, and that impressed the other pastor and stuff. And so one, and so one Sunday morning, the pastor decided he was going to take off from his church and go over to that other pastor's church. And went in there and there was about 20 or 30 people in the church. And he said, wait a second. He said, I thought that you said that you were running between about five and six hundred. He said, well, I am. He said, because 30 is between five and six hundred. And uh, and so and so a lot of the times, what will happen is is we get to, is that we begin to start comparing ourselves, and that was what was happening here. And Paul would come and write in Corinthians, and he would say that those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Here's the interesting thing: you and I each have a particular ministry that God has called us. To do. Not everybody can be the pastor. Not everybody can be the evangelist. Not everybody can be the piano player. Not everybody can be the song director or the children's director or whatever. But God has called each and every one of us to a particular form of ministry. We are a part of the body, according to First Corinthians chapter number twelve, and we are jointly fitted together. And so it doesn't make any sense for the eye to look at the toe and begin to compare and begin to compare each other because. The eye doesn't function the same way as the toe. And the toe doesn't function the same way as the thumb. Everybody has their place. But what is happening here is like happens a lot of times in our Christian circles. We begin to compare. We begin to, we begin to look at each other to see, well, who's doing the better job? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? And that is what is happening here. And if we're not careful, what will happen is... Is that we will become we will become bothered by other people's successes. Amen. Amen. We will become bothered by other people's successes. For instance, I'll just share this with you. The, one of the things that I hear a lot of is that if you have a big church, then apparently you must have compromised somewhere because everybody knows that if you if you preach the truth and you preach the gospel, that doesn't draw a crowd. But that's not true because the Bible says that if Jesus said earlier in John chapter 3, He said, if I be lifted up, He said, I will draw all men unto me. So here's the thing. A large church is not a, a, or a successful church is not a sign of the fact that they have compromised or they have gone against God or they have done anything like that. And neither is a small church a symbol that they're not doing something right. Sometimes we have to get past this idea of comparing ourselves. Because when we begin to compare ourselves, envy, jealousy, strife begins to creep up. And the, the fact of the matter is, is I've seen more churches destroyed over, over, over nonsense, if I, can, if I can say it just like that. Over things that really do not matter. What matters is is whether or not if the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. And John knows this. John knows that Jesus actually should be more popular than him. For one, he is the bridegroom. And John is just the guest think about that. John is just the guest here. John is the one that is that is that is that is sent before Christ to prepare the way for Christ. He is the one that the Old Testament described as the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And so John here, and this is not in my notes but I want to share this with you tonight, that John is the complete opposite of what Lucifer was. Because Lucifer, who we know as Satan, when he was in heaven, he was the anointed chair of that cupboard. He was heaven's choir director. He was the heaven's worship leader. He led the heavenly host in worship before the Lord. But pride got it. He was the one. He, he was the one that walked through the stones of fire. He was the one. He was the one that led people into the presence of the Lord. And here is something that is interesting. If you read the description in Ezekiel and Isaiah about, about Lucifer and how he looked, here was the interesting thing. His makeup was so much. He was made up of so many things that when he stood in the presence of God, he would reflect the presence of God so much that you wouldn't see him. And so I wonder how often do we reflect the presence of God in a sin and so much that, again, and I know this kind of sounds cliche, that when people see us, they're not really looking at us, but they're looking at God. They're seeing the Lord. But I'm afraid that too often what is happening, what is happening in a lot of churches, is that we want people to see us. We want people to pat us on the back. We want people, and and, and I believe that recognition and everything has its proper place in, 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 in church. And we ought to recognize those that are faithful. We ought to recognize people that serve. That, that is not what I'm talking about here. But when we get to the point where we feel like we deserve it. And if, you don't, and if you don't recognize me, and if you don't pat me on the back, and if you don't tell me, good job. and and, and it's, Because here's the thing. Oh my goodness, I feel like I'm, I'm going to dig in my heels just for a second. Here's is, here is, here is the reality of, uh, uh, of the matter. If you sing, there's always going to be somebody that can sing better than you. If you play the piano, there's always going to be somebody that can play the piano better than you. As a preacher, as a minister of the gospel, there's always going to be somebody that can preach better than I can. There's always going to be somebody that can do it just a little bit better than you can. And you know what? That's alright. Because it's not really about us. God has called us to be faithful into what He has called us to do. And so John is realizing here that he is just the guest. And who would want to outshine the bridegroom? Who would want to outshine the bridegroom? Well, John's disciples wanted a little bit more light shone on them and John. But the truth of the matter is, if you're a true servant of the Lord, if you're a true servant of the Lord, you you do not have a right to be recognized. That is what's interesting here. As a a follower of Jesus, you do not have the right to be recognized. Because here's the thing. There has come a day that God will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But what I have learned more often than not is that God requires us to be hidden more than he requires us to be shown. God requires us to be hidden and, and, and I, I feel like that I can prove it by First Kings chapter number 17. Elijah stands up and he is known. He just comes up on the scene and he looks at King Ahab and he says, there will be rain, there won't be dew except according to my word. And then for three and a half years you don't hear anything about Elijah. The only thing that you hear is that God tells Elijah to go down by the brook and stay there and wait. And then he tells you, Now you go, you go to Zarephath because I've commanded the widow woman there to sustain you. You mean to tell me that he wasn't broadcasting his fame and radio? God told him to go hide. And I'm afraid that a lot of the times us in churches, we don't like that. We like to be known, and that was what was happening here with the disciples of John. And then thirdly the disciples of John and the Pharisees they're arguing about purification. There's a lot of water in this location. But it's not the water that the Pharisees think that ought to be used in this. The religious people thought was needed to use for purification. If they were baptizing people, they needed to use the right water. And how many times do we get in the mode of, in our Christian circles, that it has to be done this way? And I know that we don't like that because, bless God, that's the way that we've done it for 20 years. That's the way that we've done it. That's the way Grandma done it. That's the way Grandpa done it, and so that's how it should be done. And so they're arguing over they're arguing over baptism, and whether or not if in this river we should baptize. And we're going to see it again when we get to chapter four, when when the woman at the well is talking to Jesus at the well, and they begin to talk and they begin to talk about uh, about worship. Well, the Samaritans say we ought to worship in this mountain. The Jews say that we ought to worship in Jerusalem. Where do you say that we ought to worship? And I think that too many times what we're getting, what we get called up in is stuff that really doesn't matter. We get called up in the things in a Christendom that really do not matter. See, I know people, now Listen. I, I, I'm I'm just I, I'm just gonna be honest with you, and nobody. If you fall out with me, we we can talk later. But that's okay. Here's the thing. I know I know churches that'll split if this is not up front, because somehow or another, we have been conditioned that God can't meet anybody anywhere unless it's here. And heaven forbid, if you come, I, and I've, I've been in this, I've, I've been in this for eighteen years, traveling in churches, evangelizing in churches. I knew evangelists that wouldn't go, that would they would step behind the pulpit, and if there wasn't a wooden altar in the front, they would start criticizing the church because somehow or they sold out. They sold out their convictions, and I'm telling you something that has done more. And that's just an example. I can give you a hundred more. Amen. That is just an example of things that we that that are minor things that we have made major issues that have destroyed the church. Because we feel like well if it's if it's not to my liking if it's not to if it's not to my understanding if it's not to if it's not to what I want if it's not my preference and I've told you this time and time again and you're going to feel like that I sound like a broken record god is not interested in your preference god is not interested in my preference when god gets ready to do something brother tony god doesn't stop by my house and knock on my door and say, Jeremy, this is what I want to do. And I just stop by to ask you whether or not if it was okay if I did it this way. He doesn't ask anything like that. And so these here in the Bible, in John chapter 3, they're arguing, can I just say it this way, over stupid stuff. Amen. They were arguing over things that don't matter. Well, is this the right water for us to be... Is this the right water for us to be baptizing? And we get caught up in the same way in silly arguments. And these arguments do no good to anyone. And they only cause us to fight over things that do not matter. And we have to be very, very careful. Because that is what the enemy would love more than anything, and and we like to talk about when that happens, and we like to talk about how well the enemy has come in and has destroyed it has destroyed this church. Really, the enemy didn't come in and destroy anything; we destroyed it, and we have to be very. Very careful. That's the reason. And, I, and see, I, I'm a worshiper by nature. I grew up, I loved southern gospel music. That's what, I, that, that's, that's what I loved for years. I didn't think there was anything else but southern gospel music. I, until I found out that there was, a, there was a whole vast other world out there. That, that you know, people worshipping God. How many knows? And people in Africa never heard. At, at times never heard. of Just a little talk with Jesus. And so, and people, and I begin to understand that people worship differently. People, people praise God differently. I got, I, I, I was in a service one time, and 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 every time that the preacher said something that that, that just hit home to this certain guy in the service, he he was a he was a basketball coach and he would reach into his shirt and pull out a whistle and he'd blow the whistle every time that he heard something. Now, now, and now here's the thing. Now I had to get used to that. But that was, that was his, that was his mode. That was his, that was his worship because here was the thing. I asked, I said, well, what's that guy's story? Why in the world does he blow, why in the world does he blow that whistle? He said, but you, he said, what you got to understand is that two years, is that two years ago, he was a drug addict living under the bridge. And the fact of the matter, and that pastor told me, said that his marriage had completely fallen apart. Till one Sunday night, he stumbled through the church doors and knelt at an altar and gave his heart and life to God. And now he's a, he's a he's a successful businessman, and he and, and, and he and he coaches basketball. And 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 God has put his marriage back together. And I said, brother, blow that whistle, blow that whistle. You've got a right to praise him. And I want to tell somebody in this house tonight that what you've got to understand, we can argue about so many things and those things don't matter one to one hill of beans what we ought to do is just proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. 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 we have to be careful sometimes things sound good but they add no spiritual value whatsoever let me stop right there and let me say this as the associate pastor of this church everything we do ought to pass the test on whether or not is this to further the gospel Amen. everything Amen. everything we do ought to ought to pass the test of what does this do to reach somebody somebody asked me one time says well what what is your what, what's your what's your Goal, what has God called you to do? I said, you know, I only have one mission. And that's the Great Commission. Churches have all sorts of different visions and whatever. But the only vision that I find in the Bible Amen. is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that is what we ought to be doing. Everything that we do, individually and corporately ought to be filtered through the lens of what does this do to bring somebody to Jesus. And if it can't bring somebody to Jesus, then don't do it. Amen. And that, it, Amen. Then don't do it. I, 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 there, there's so much more that I could say there, but time would fail me to do it. But sometimes things sound good, but they do not add a spiritual value. Let's not be people who do that. And John talks about the joy. That talks about the joy that he has in this. And here's my question. Does the presence of Jesus make our lives full of joy? Or do we worry about how we are seen by others? The presence of Jesus. When Jesus shows up. Because here's what I know. I know that when God shows up in our midst. I don't know if it's this way with you. But I know it's this way with me. A lot of the times when Jesus shows up. And the Spirit of God begins speaking to me. More often than not, it has something to do with just messing up with what I thought I had planned. But I'm wondering if as God is moving, does that bring joy to our lives? Now I really want you to think I really want you to think hard, I want you to think hard about that because. Our our natural response is to say, yep, it does. But in the case that we read here in John chapter 3, that's not what happened. Jesus shows up and is doing great and mighty things. People are coming to him and being saved. And the religious people are getting mad. Because, again, we already talked about the fact that they're not Now they're not the center of attention in all of this. And so when Jesus shows up and he begins to do things. Does it fill our life with joy? I have to to brag on you. I really do. I'm I'm, going to brag on you. Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour. I mean my goodness didn't the Lord move powerfully during uh, during Sunday school and you guys responded to the move of the spirit it was out of the i mean it was it was out of the ordinary in the sense of in the sense of that is not necessarily typical of what happens and but you people responded in such great fashion in that the ones that those that were that were praying in the altar and God was moving and God was speaking and God was speaking to his people don't ever lose that sense of joy that happens that when God begins to move do do we fill with joy or do we complain About how things are being, or how we are being treated or how things are done. God, God does not come into our lives to improve us. Sister Tanya, Brother Keith, he actually comes into our lives to kill us. And we have a hard time with that. So I say that to say this. If we ever catch ourselves, and myself included, to where we begin to complain about how things are, then there is something that hasn't died. And we have to find an altar somewhere and lay it on the altar and say, God, kill it. Because the issue, because the thing is, is that God is under no obligation to move or bless our lives with parts of our flesh that is still alive. And I know we, at times, me, I don't like to hear that. It's not a pleasant experience because it hurts, because it's painful. But I believe that it is time for the church to rejoice in His presence. And that is all that needs to fill our hearts. Here's the thing, as a minister of the gospel, I'm not the one that has to preach. I've been to camp meetings and I haven't, pre- and nobody's asked me to preach. That's okay. I don't have to be the minister. I don't have to be the keynote speaker. That doesn't bother me at all. I don't have to have. I don't have to. I don't have to have the preferred seat. You can stand me up in a corner somewhere if somebody who's lost and undone and doesn't know Jesus needs my seat. I don't need. I don't need a seat. That's not my seat. I'm dead to Christ. I don't have to have. I don't have to have. Uh, And and I pray this, Lord, I I don't have to have my way. And Lord, whenever I start to feel like that I have to have my way, kill it. Let it die. Because at the end of the day, His presence is all that matters. His presence is what is important. He is here. It doesn't matter if I am or not. I know that that's now I don't want anybody to go out of here tonight and to say, well, Brother Jeremy said it didn't matter if I was here or not. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But what I am saying is this is that if Christ is here, it does not matter what else is going on. Because again, in these passages of Scripture, it is not, brother Keith, it is not about me. It is not about our preference and our styles or our method. It is about whether or not if He is glorified. And Jesus and John says in verse thirty here, because it hinges on this. And I'm going to wrap this up tonight. He must increase. And I must decrease. Do you know how to increase the presence of God in your life? Get yourself out of the way. Get yourself out of the way. And His presence will become greater in your life. I hear a lot of the times. So give me one minute, and then I will. Fi- and I'm going to finish this up, Lord willing. I talk to people all the time, time that say, "I don't understand God. I feel like God's not doing anything in my life. I feel like God is not." moving in my life. And here's what I've learned. If you let somebody talk long enough, you'll understand where you'll you'll kind of understand the root of where they're coming from. And I would talk to them, would attempt to minister to them. I make it a point. Now listen to me. I don't counsel people. I'm not qualified for that. Have no desire to counsel people. I'll tell you what the Bible says and I'll leave it at that. And if it's anything deeper or stronger or of what have you, then there's people we can get we can get people in contact with and all of that. But I don't but I don't counsel people outside of the Word of God. And what I have learned a lot of the times is there is something that they're not willing to hand over to God. It can be it can be an addiction. It can be it can be a bondage in their life. It can be it, it can be <laughs> hatred. It can be envy. It can be strife. It can be any of it can be a, a, a number of things. And they want to hold on to that. But they don't understand that by holding on to it. It blocks the flow of what God is wanting to do in their lives. It blocks what God is wanting to do. It blocks God releasing the fullness of His blessings into your life or into my life. And I talk with people, and they say, "You know, well, you don't know what they have done to me, or you don't know, you you don't know I, I, that I don't like the fact that the church is changing this, or the church is changing that, or and, and so and that's and that's and if they're going to do that, then I'll just go find another church. And what we find out more often than not is that the people who say we well, do, I'm just going to go find another church. Don't go find another church. They just stay home." And I have found out more often than not that what ends up happening is there. Is that it's because they haven't learned to decrease. So that God can increase in their life. And that's my prayer tonight. That is my hope. That is what I have been praying. I'm going to tell you what I have been praying. This has been my prayer for the past two weeks. Any time that I kneel down to pray. Or I walk to pray. Or whatever the case may be when I pray. My prayer has simply been this. And I I can only attribute it to the spirit of the Lord. Lord bring me into alignment. God bring me into alignment to your will. Bring me into alignment to your word. Bring me into alignment with your spirit. Because when I'm out of alignment. It becomes more about me. How does it make me feel? How does it how, how does it how does it treat how how do I feel about that? And so my prayer is for me is that Lord help me to understand that it's you and it's not me. God help me not to be the person. Can I just say it? Help me to be the person that's not offended by every little thing that happens. The church, a lot of the times, more often than not, lives in a spirit of offense constantly. And if you're always, and I'm trying to bring this to a close, if you always always live in a spirit of offense, you will never become everything that God intends for you to be. And sometimes what we need to happen is that we just have to let it roll off. On. One of the one of the uh, one of the fruit of the spirit is long suffering. And in its simplest form, you know what long suffering means, Brother Keith? It means sometimes we suffer long. And sometimes we've just got to put up with stuff. Sometimes we've just got to put up with it. And so my my prayer for me and for this church is that we become people that it is less about us and more about the Lord. It is less about what I want, it is less about what I desire. It is less about my preference. It is less about my need, and more about fulfilling the mission of Jesus. John the Baptist understood that. John the Baptist understood the nature of the calling that God had called him. To be. And my prayer tonight. Is that we would be the same way. Amen. Let's stand all over this house. Tonight. I have. I want us. I want to pray this. And I'm normally. Not the type of person. I know that it's. I'm not usually the type of person that writes out my prayers. I, no, I normally don't do that. I like to, I, I, you know, a lot of the times when I pray, I like to pray from the heart. But I want to pray this tonight. And I want us, and as I'm praying, I want God to search us tonight. Father, I know it's easy I know it's easy to complain about what others are doing in their worship and in their actions. And Father, I know that John did not let that take up his thoughts nor touch his actions. He loved to see Jesus as the preeminent person in his life. And John understood everything else God was not important. And tonight, Lord, I want Jesus first in my life, in my joy, and in my focus. Other things will take their place, and they are a far distant second or lower. And Father, forgive me when I focus on things, or I focus on my position, or I focus on my perspective. Because, Father, honestly, when I do that, it leads me to say and do silly things. And I am tired of letting that get in the way of what Jesus wants to do. And my joy at seeing Him lifted up. So, Jesus, I lift you up tonight. And, Father, help us to lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen Amen. and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise?